Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. We are going to continue this conversation. Today's message is called Love That Conquers Death. Whoa. That's right. Love that conquers. We need to talk about this this morning because death is such a severe, severe thing in our lives. Um, We're going to keep on that theme of the resurrection changes everything. It's because of death and resurrection of Jesus that we see the love of God, hence the name of this series, This is Love. We're talking about Jesus. We're not just talking about uh, love in a general sense. We're talking about the person of Jesus. Okay. So the big idea of this message is, Through the resurrection of Jesus, God has conquered death. Can anybody say amen? God has conquered death through the resurrection of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, that's what the sermon's about. You want to hear it? All right, here we go. Death is a great tragedy of the human experience. As the saying goes, no one gets out of here alive. No one gets out of here alive, unless you're Enoch or Elijah. But if you, if you went to Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sociologists have observed that just about every society has its own version of immortality symbols, things that give the assurance of living forever. And I think it's interesting because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he has put eternity on their hearts. But no one can discover the work of God has done from beginning to end. He says, he's put eternity on man's hearts, but we can't figure out all of the mind of God. Every generation, every civilization, every um, historical grouping, they've all understood one basic thing, that eternity is real. And death is the great tragedy of the human experience. In ancient times, it was, uh, it was about being properly enshrined and buried among the gods. Think of the pharaohs in Egypt and their grand tombs. Or the terracotta army. Ever see the, the pictures of the terracotta army? What was the guy's name? Emperor Shin Shi Wang. Wang? Wang? I don't know. Shin Shi Wang. I had to actually write that phonetically or I would never have read it properly, okay? The terracotta army, this this army that was made out of of clay so that he would have an army with him in the afterlife. There's all these symbols and things that talk about being eternal beings. For Americans, we want to make a name for ourselves, leave our mark, and therefore carry on a legacy. Some of these things are not bad. They, have, uh, been, uh, they may have been a decent motivation. Like, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy for my children. I want to leave a legacy for you. I want to leave a legacy. But for what purpose? To glorify this? For one more generation, maybe? Or to glorify the Father? To glorify the Father. But as far as being uh, immortality symbols, something that makes us live on after death, they come 
woefully short, these types of things. Death is the great ending, great finality, the incomparable curtain call, right? So when Jesus wants, uh, uh, went to the cross on Friday, it was anything but good, okay? In the moment, it was anything but good. His followers were devastated because they, they knew what death was. They knew it. They, they, weren't, they weren't like naive. They knew what death was. They were devastated. They, uh, their dream was over. Luke 24 says this. In that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other and about everything that had happened. This is after the crucifixion. And they talked of, uh, and discussed these things with each other. Then Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Listen, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these last days? What things, he asked. Jesus is playing dumb here. What, what, what are you talking about? I don't know. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Listen to this. This is interesting. Ready? But we had hoped. Hoped is past tense. Do you see that? But we had hoped that he was one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women, the women, those emotional women, these guys are like not believing it, right? They're not having it. Some of the women went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. Then some of the companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. This is, this is, the, right, this is the aftermath of the crucifixion. This is actually Easter day, the third day. And this is the, 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 the position of their heart. Their hope had ended. Their heads hung low. Their bodies felt lifeless. Their hearts felt hollow. And their eyes were swollen from weeping. How? How? How could this be? I think it's really good not to rush past this moment. All right? See, the darkness... And the tragedy of Good Friday captures how we often feel in our lives. Overwhelmed by brokenness in this world. How many have felt that this past year? Just a little bit overwhelmed with the brokenness of this world. I know I have. I've, I've, I've actually literally struggled with it. It's gotten me into a very bad place from time to time. filled with disappointment and despair, aware of the darkness and fear 
in our own hearts. See, death is the end of the possibilities. So what did it say? We had hoped. Those possibilities are ended in their mind. And there is no answer for death. If there is, me, and if there is no answer for death, then all the answers do not matter. What can lift our heavy heads? The poet in Song of Songs said this, love is as strong as death. Love is as strong as death. No, said the father on Easter morning, love is stronger. Love is, Jesus, Jesus is, the, is, the, is the proof that there is a love that is stronger than death. Love is stronger. On that first Easter morning, God the Father showed the world that there is a love that is greater than death. The preaching in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts and Paul's writings, make a point to say that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. See, it's not just that like Jesus was some uh, epic superhero that got down to the last punch and then miraculously, right before he was dispatched by the, the villain, he had a surge of you know, energy and he came back and ah, oh, and you no. No, that's not how it happened. The gospel writers and the first preachers of Jesus want us to know that God did, that Jesus did really die. He really did die. And this is important to them. And it should be important to us. He was buried. He died. Fully dead. But God the Father did not abandon his beloved son to the grave. He vindicates his faithful obedience and sacrificial death by raising him to new life. By raising bodily, physically, spiritually, every way in which Jesus was dead, he was raised into brand new life. Peter in Acts 5. Now, they get, I love this part because in Acts 5, this is right after the Holy Spirit's poured out in the church, right? The... the, the the embryonic church. This is the guy. This is the guy who denied Christ, right? We talked about it last week. Who, who three times denied him, and Jesus three times asked him to confirm his love. And they're and they're and they're hiding and they're scared. And then the Holy Spirit's poured out, and this is what he says: The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. This is the same guy from last week. The same guy who said, well, I guess I'm going fishing. I guess this is over. I guess the dream has died. And then God resurrected something in Peter. And he says, the same Jesus whom you had murdered by hanging on a tree, God exalted this man to his right hand and ruler and, as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin go ahead and hang me too. Just do it upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. The same guy. The resurrection changes everything. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, we're idiots. This is, a, this is just a really, really nice social club. If there's no resurrection, 
We just like to get together and sing and listen to untruths. But if the resurrection happened, it changes everything. And the gospel, the gospel writers were confident. Confident. And we should be too. Paul understood that the resurrection of Jesus is not just good news for Jesus or just for the Jews. It's good news for the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He said, in fact. In fact. Not in, you know, your mind or your heart. You know, oh, God will always be with us in our hearts. We do this at, you know, we do this at funerals. We say these kind of figurative things. Well, as long as you remember the good things, he'll always be with you. That's not what he's talking about. He said, in fact. In fact, Christ had been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, that at his coming, those who belong to Christ. I love this part because earlier it's, it seems to be a little confusing because he said, in Christ all will be made alive. But he, 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 he goes on a little bit. And he, he tells us what that means. He says, um, Christ the first fruits and the coming of those who belong to Christ. Those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then comes the end. And when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. Now listen to this. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know what that tells me today? That there's still more coming because we still struggle with death. Death has touched my family this year. Death has touched a lot of families this year. Death has touched our society this year. We've all felt the weight of death in some way. So that enemy is not completely gone yet, but we'll see later how it is completely defeated. And we can walk in confidence that this is, this is done. Paul tells us at least three things in this passage. The first thing is this. Resurrection is the defeat of death. Paul calls death an enemy. It is. Let's be clear about this. Death is not a friend. Death is not a friend. Death is not a doorway to eternity. We talk about these things like this. You know, it's just a stepping off point. Is it? No. The gospel said death is an enemy. It's cruel. It's not natural to the human experience. We, we deal with death because of sin in the world and in our own lives. But death is not what God had intended for us. It is an enemy. But it is an enemy that will be destroyed because Jesus' victory over death on Easter. Can you imagine being free from the fear of death? Think about that for a second. Free from the fear of death. How much fear is related to the fear of death and its finality? You have seen it all year long. 
people have literally locked themselves in their homes for a year plus because of that fear of death. And that's not a commentary. That's just the reality. They don't want to die. None of us do. We don't want to die. So they take precautions and they, because of that fear of death. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not commentating on whether that was right or wrong or what. I'm just saying to you, that's what people have done. Because there is that great fear of death. But what if we can look the monster in the face and say, I'm not afraid of you. You have no victory. You have no victory. This is why it's so important that we understand what really happened to Jesus. He did not have a near-death experience, then got resuscitated. This is, this is the theory that some leading scholars, can you believe it? Some leading scholars say that he had a near-death experience. If you just read what happened to this God-man in the Gospels, you know that that's not true. You don't get a spear stuck into the pericardium sac of your heart where everything, where blood and water flows out and say, well, he was just, you know, near death. That's not what happened. This is another theory, stupid theory, I think. He did not pass out on the cross. <sighs> and then the coolness of the tomb revived him. That's a theory. Why, why is that a theory? Because people don't want to believe. Satan has clouded their vision. He died, period. He his, it pierced his side, which caused blood and water to flow out. It's a medical note on the finality of his death. The disciples who gave many accounts of the bodily resurrection of Christ weren't using words like resurrection uh, figuratively. They meant it as a historical reality. So by the time Paul writes to the Corinthians, he can say to them that he is simply the last in a long line of witnesses to the resurrection. Open up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'll also be on the wall. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Sounds like communion, doesn't it? That Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. What is, what is Paul saying here? He goes, if you doubt it, I can give you 500 people that most of them are still alive. You can go ask them. Go. You know, this is, this is not something that we're making up. There's 500 people in a court of law. You get witnesses of 500 people, it's verifiable. This is not a myth. Paul is being very, very clear here. And he's, he's not talking to us. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Paul is talking to us, but he's not thinking about you when he's writing it. He's thinking about the person that's in Corinth, that goes, I don't know if this really happened. He's like, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the phone number 
of 500 people. Text them, find out what they have to say about it. Right? Verifiable. Most of them are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, least of all, as one un, uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me. So he's saying this is a verifiable fact. It is real. The second thing he talks about is this. Uh, we can note in Paul's letter to the Corinthians about the uh, meaning of the significance of the resurrection. The resurrection in God's new beginning, when all positive possibilities, the resurrection is God's new beginning when all possibilities are at an end. When all possibilities are at an end. Resurrection is not a hallucination. Resurrection is not a spiritualization of the afterlife. Resurrection is what only God can bring about when all other, other possibilities are gone. Revelations 21 says this, and I love this. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Who's the one seated on the throne? The one who rose from the grave. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. You see, we still struggle with this thing called death because we live in a sinful world, right? But he said this, whatever he's doing in Revelations here was accomplished in the resurrection. It was accomplished in the resurrection. It is done in Jesus. Eternity is open because of the resurrection 2,000 years ago. Eternal life is available because of Christ coming out of that grave bodily, physically, 2,000 years ago. It's done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. Will and It's done, but they're going to inherit it. You see that? It's already been done, but they're going to inherit it. That is the blessed hope of the church. That death, though it be an enemy and a reality, is not the end for those who are in Christ. It is done, and they will receive it. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or child. Let me ask you a question. Do you need some resurrection in your life? Do you need some resurrection in your life? Remember, it's all, resurrection is what God can do when all other things fail. When death, the finality of death has come into your life on, in something, God can raise it up. Maybe you don't want to think of those places or areas in your life because, really, what's the point? How could you possibly change any story anyway? It's over, right? In the natural, this may be true, but the resurrection changes everything. Maybe there's a dream you've had. Maybe there's something in your life that you've, you've, you just 
died to. Because of something like Alberta said, you're looking back. And you're not worthy of it. I want to tell you right now, none of us are worthy of the salvation that Jesus brings, the resurrection that Jesus brings. Maybe there's something in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's something in your family, and you need a resurrection for your children. Maybe it's something going on in your relationships, and something has died in your marriage or with a sibling, and you need some resurrection today. When all else fails, when everything, all the lights go out, Jesus is the one who resurrects. God resurrects, and it's amazing. That leads me to the last and final point about the resurrection that we learn from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Resurrection is a gift. Now, I alluded to that earlier, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For also Adam all died, and also in Christ shall all be made alive. So both of those things are a gift. Thanks, Adam. Thanks a lot, pal. Thanks for the sins. Thanks for the deaths. Thanks for the curse. We won't even talk about Eve because it gets very controversial at that point. It was, all right, I'm going to talk about Eve for a second. Um, it was so controversial because we were doing this uh, thing about villains in the Bible. And everybody who was, we were, we were do, coming up with a game for the, um, the uh, Dream Team Gala. Come up with a game. And we were coming up with a list of villains. And everybody, all the guys wrote down Eve. And then, so we were reading the question, and, and, and the only woman in the room was like, where's Adam on the list? I'm like, I don't know. No, no. All the guys wrote down Eve. I thought that was hilarious. Just saying. No. Um, you see, just as death entered the world through one man, so also resurrection and the resurrected life come through the resurrection of one man. Remember, the resurrection of Jesus is not just good news for Jesus. It's good news for the world. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. What can you do to earn it? Nothing. There's nothing you've done to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. It's a gift. It's a gift from a loving Father. Resurrection does not emerge from potential. Resurrection is not uh, an achievement. It's not an achievement. No one can raise themselves up from the dead. Only one has ever done that. But in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who endure shall be given that gift. Hallelujah. Can anybody say hallelujah? I mean, I mean, come on. It's a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. So stop trying. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't deserve it. So don't worry about it. I mean, that's, that's kind of a theme of the day, isn't it? 
You don't deserve it. So stop looking in the rearview mirror and saying, well, I don't deserve it. I can't move into God's promises. I can't move into this. I can't do because of what I did. Guess what? There's nothing that you can do to make that right. Come to God. Ask for forgiveness and and move on. Move forward. Look ahead. Raise your eyes. (laughs) Good stuff. You know what it is, though? Not just good stuff. Good news. One day, all who are in Christ will be raised up with glorious new bodies. Oh, man. I got so many notes here today. I looked, I was talking to Michael earlier. I said, I wrote right in the sermon and I got real like into it. And I looked down, I'm looking at the notes, and there's nine pages of notes. You know what my normal one hour, 45 minute sermon usually is? Five pages. <laughs> so I had to do a little amending and I was thinking I'm so, but we're, here we go. I have a wedding to do. Come on now. One day, all of Christ will be raised up to glorious new bodies. It is has led the church saying for 1,700 years now the words of the Nicene Creed that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. But there's something very important you need and I need to understand. Resurrection life can begin today. Right now. See, resurrection life was not meant to be experienced only after this body dies. Resurrection life is supposed to be a continual, perpetual reality for the believer. Paul, just as he wrote to the Corinthians about the significance and meaning of the resurrection, he also wrote to the Christians in Rome. Romans 8.11 says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in him, you, dwells, dwells, that's not a past tense, that's not a future tense, that is a present tense, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your body someday, right? Your future body when you're, no, it says it will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, today, present tense. Come on now. That's how we should be living. Not in fear of death. Think about the early church martyrs. They were willing to lay it all on the line and be martyred for Christ. Why? Because they didn't fear death. They understood that this body could be broken, but that was not, they didn't care about that. Because they knew that life was, they lived in the moment by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you folks, the church needs to start to rise up and stop being afraid of their own shadow. Because that's, okay, wow, I got to stop or I'm going to go on a whole new sermon. Okay, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead is bringing new life to you now. The same love that had not abandoned Jesus to the grave, will not let you go. He loves you with a love that is stronger than death. 
Mm-mm. Paul finishes out the chapter in Romans 8 with this powerful assurance. You ready? Romans 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through, whom, through him who loved us. Folks, folks, church, are we living a more than conqueror existence? Look at yourselves. This is something that I have been working on in my own personal spiritual life. Ken, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Tuesday night's message, you wanted to know, Tuesday night's Bible study is going to be about why some people get healed and why some people don't. So now you know. I've been researching this, and it's convicting me, and I cannot wait. We need to be about it. We are more than conquerors through faith in Jesus who first loved us. The first fruits of everything that we should be enjoying. For I am sure, listen to this, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That love that is stronger than death. Hallelujah. Because Jesus took on death and let it exhaust its power on him. Think about, think about that statement. Oh, Because Jesus took on death and let it exhaust its power on him. It's got no more strength for us. It exhausted its power on Jesus, the Passover lamb, and now it passes over us. Because the Father in his love raised Jesus from the grave, vindicating his faithfulness and demonstrating his belovedness. Now for all who are in Jesus, nothing. I'm going to say it again. Nothing, not even Death can separate you from the love of God. This, put it up there, the whole thing. Title, put the title. Yeah, this is love. This is love. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much for the resurrection power that not only rose Jesus from the dead, but is alive in us. Lord, I pray that you would give strength, power to these mortal bodies so that we can start living a resurrection life now. So that we can look at this world and the curse that it's under and say, that's for that, that's not for me. I've been set free. I have no fear of that because I know and I've experienced a love that conquers death. So Lord, I pray right now that you would imbue us with boldness from on high. That you would help us to know that resurrection is not just about eternity, though it is about eternity. It is also for today. Lord, help us never 
to look back and think that we can't receive this. Help us always to know that there's a love that if we grab onto, no man can separate us from that love. No power, no demon, no devil, no curse. So Lord, I thank you for that opportunity. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to take an opportunity right now. If you've never received the love of Jesus Christ that conquers death in your life today and for all eternity, and you want to do that today, you want to receive that free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you just to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Accept that free gift of salvation. If you're, on, if you're looking at this online, if you responded, maybe you didn't raise your hand in your living room, but you responded to that, I'd ask you to, to send us a little note, let us know, we'll contact you. Because we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those who've responded today, who received Jesus Christ as their Lord today, and have received Jesus Christ as their Savior today. Lord, I pray that they would live in newness of life from this moment forward, and that fear would have no place in their life. Would not be a, they would not be in bondage to that fear. They're free to look fear in the face and say, you have no victory over me. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, and we look forward to this wedding that we're about to experience. Where we see, in a very tangible way, how Christ loved the church. We give you praise and glory for everything you've done and are doing right now in our lives and will do in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.